Hello, Jack. Morning. How are you doing? Not too bad. How are you? So we're after getting into a new um, practice now of learning new words. And <laughs> this week's new word that you're after giving me is hyperbole, right? Hyperbole. What does that mean? Hyperbole. Hy- <laughs> hyperbole. Hyperbole. What does that yes. mean? Um, it's an over-exaggeration or an inflation of something. Like what? Like Like anything. Like, like anything, like... Like a description of somebody, you know? Ah! Jolene is the <laughs> most incredible, effervescent editor of podcasts I've ever met. Well, thank you for your, your flattery. That's amazing. My hyperbole. Uh, your hyperbole, sorry. <laughs> thank you for your hyperbole. Have you any hyperbole kind of introduction to who we're talking to today? No, it's not possible to over-exaggerate it, actually. Ah, because she is actually effervescent. She is effervescent. We're talking to the wonderful Caitlin who is yeah, Caitlin. Caitlin's a chef. Um, she is based down in Timaleague, and um, she is actually American originally. She's from New Hampshire. She moved to Ireland twenty years ago. She would have worked in places like Letter Column and Dylan's, and then eventually took up the position of head chef in DC's Bar in Ring for sixteen years, where she was awarded a Bib Gourmand and has been titled a champion of sustainable Irish food. So most recently, Caitlin has taken to beaches, cliffs and roadsides with a new food truck. And we had a chat to her about the importance of hyperlocal, how creativity can flourish in this vagabond approach to serving food and how she only takes on interesting jobs. Yeah, that's right. Let's press play. Let's chat to Caitlin. Okay, cool. I dug this out so I want to just play this for you hope you can hear it (laughs) what are you doing (laughs) okay purple rain purple rain what is it with you and the purple rain I, I don't know um are you referring to my potato salad? <laughs> I am absolutely referring to your potato salad because it's one of the things actually that sticks out of my head. It's something that I'm going to get when I come and have a lovely meal with you. Well, it is, it's simply the um, variety of potato. Is it? Yeah. I actually didn't know that. So there is a variety of potato called Purple Rain. I thought you just clearly loved Prince so much. No, I'm, like, I mean, I, I respect Prince. Um, I, you know, <laughs> and like, uh, and of course, it's really cool. Like, I don't even know if it if they weren't if they weren't called purple rain potatoes, would I even mention their variety? But like, it's just so cool, isn't it? Purple rain. It, oh, it's salad. deadly. Like, it's deadly, <laughs> and it's a great talking point. I like. I just thought you were a huge Prince fan. So, do you like Prince? Yeah, I like Prince. Yeah, I do. But I mean, he's not like I didn't grow up like loving him. Like I did like Led Zeppelin. Or something. Okay. Like that. Okay. But um, okay. it, they're You're gonna wrong. have to find a new dish that's a stairway to heaven or something now after this. Oh, I know. Like, <laughs> is there is there anything? Oh, custard pie. <gasps> yeah, that's a Zeppelin song. But, um, but hold on, I I want to know: Did the purple rain potato come first? Like, did he name the song after the variety of potato, or was the variety <laughs> of potato named after the song? I'd say Prince has never ever eaten a carb. 
He <laughs> does not look like he's a car beater, no. No, it really doesn't, poor fella. Um, I, th- I think we got to bring him down to West Cork and feed him up with a few carbs and some purple rain potato salad. Exactly. But, um, uh, uh, you know who grows them is a, a, a guy, a, a farmer in Timalik who used to work for the Department of Agriculture. And he's the least likely person to choose uh, purple rain. Like, he's like, purple rain? I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> like it just seems so like incongruous i was like oh yeah this is cool <laughs> so everything about it is kind of cool oh that's great uh caitlin thank you so much for uh coming on the neighbor food podcast with us we really really appreciate it like um you're so i suppose well known for your food truck in particular but like you're a sustainable irish food champion and you've picked up lots of awards and do you know how did you come to the place where you are today Maybe tell us a little bit about some of your earliest food memories or something like that. Um, okay, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's great. Um, let's see, food memories. Jeez, I like I, I I have like practically no memories that aren't food memories. <laughs> you know, uh, everything seems to be tied into food somehow. But um, I mean, like my earliest food memory, which uh, I actually told to John and Sally, was that. Um, I just remember cooking when I was little, we had moved into this crazy little house. Um, and there was not a real kitchen. It was a pantry. And I, I really thought it was the best size for me because it, no one else could fit in there. So I was like five or six and I used to just go in there and cook. And well, when I say cook, I didn't know how to cook. I was messing around and creating like waste <laughs> more or less, you know, but, um, I did, I remember making stock, um, we had an electric skillet. I don't know if you're familiar with electric skillets. Tell me, how does it work? Okay, so it's just like a you plug it in, and it's like a a, a square stainless steel box on feet on plastic feet, and it's okay. for people that don't have proper cookers. So okay. yeah, so we plugged in. I plugged in the electric skillet, and I filled it with water, and mm-hmm. I remember distinctly like putting all loads of like weird vegetables into it. And sibbering them, thinking that I was making soup. But what kind of weird vegetables were they? Can you? Oh, remember? you know, like probably onions. I mean, we definitely had like runner beans. You know, gross things that shouldn't go into to a stock. Let's put it that way. I didn't okay. know what I was okay. doing. I had no guidance. <laughs> I was kind of left to my own devices. And um, I just remember distinctly remember thinking, "Oh my god, this water now tastes like all the things that I put into it." And I thought, "This is like oh, the man, coolest man. thing that." I've ever done in my life. <laughs> like, wow. I, don't know, I was six years old. Yeah, yeah, five or six. That was my first kind of food memory. Um, you know, that I, from my first memory that it really, I think. Um, mm. So yeah, that was my first. And did you grow up in a household that loved food? No, not really. No, no. It was just me. I'm a, I was, I'm an only child. And mm-hmm. uh, so it was just me and my parents and they kind of built houses. So they were away all of the time. And, okay. Um, no, I, I was, you know what I was, I was just let do whatever I wanted, mm-hmm. more or less, you know, like whether becoming a mad scientist in the kitchen was uh, just what the doctor ordered by the sounds of it. Yeah. So like I was scrabbling around in the woods all the time because we, we lived in the woods. Um, and actually, funny enough, I remember foraging was a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't obviously didn't call it that. But um, there's a few plants in the New England or in the New Hampshire forest like uh, silver birch, you know, tastes like mint. Um, mm. Wintergreen, which is a little tiny. 
uh, shrub on the, um, uh, it's like uh, got shiny green leaves and bright red berries. It looks like it should be poisonous, but okay. it also tastes like wintergreen, which is an amazing like mint that we have in New Hampshire. So like, I remember like gathering all those things and pigweed. <laughs> it must no, be another thing I've never tasted. Yeah. It's really like we used to eat that stuff. Um, I think just messing in the woods, but like we knew mm-hmm. what was edible and what wasn't. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's yeah. that that is that is incredible um so i'm glad you said you're from new hampshire because that's clearly not a west cork accent how did you end up coming to ireland right well um i me and my best friend um leah decided that we'd go traveling in europe for a few weeks and we ran out of money in antwerp in belgium and i just got a job in a bar and i ended up staying there for three years I think mm-hmm. I was 19 when we left the States. So um, I ended up meeting an Irish guy there and we got married and moved back here and had a baby in Galway. And yeah, that's how I ended up here. And how I ended up here, here in West Cork is I was in Antwerp. I worked in a bar mm-hmm. and the owner of the bar's surname was McLaughlin. And okay. I don't know if that rings a bell with you, but he was the brother of Con McLaughlin who owned letter column house and ran it as a restaurant and kind of guest house. And he, the brother got in touch with me and said, look, they're looking for a cook. Cause I was already a cook in Antwerp and mm-hmm. in the States as well. And uh, so I went down there for an interview and I got hired there and we all moved down as a family. And yeah, that was my, that was the beginning of my cooking journey in West Cork is Letter Column House. Yeah. That's fabulous. And Letter Column House is fantastic. So I understand they, they grow pretty much everything there on site in their wall garden and, and they use it yeah. in the oh, restaurant. Yeah. And they also have a shop in Clonakilty, don't they? That's right. Like, so they don't have the restaurant anymore, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's a private home now, but mm-hmm. uh, they've got the Letter Column Kitchen Project in Clonakilty. And that is, you know, super. And they do genuinely grow so much stuff up there. Like if you go up there and you see like, there's like rows and tunnels and glass houses and you know they've got white peach trees that are like laden with fruit it's incredible yeah wow so So I can imagine you felt really at home there did you get stuck into the gardens as well at that time um well I'm not a gardener but uh we we used to have to pick stuff you know for sure in fact they taught me how to correctly pick herbs so I didn't kill the plant (laughs) I'm more of a kind of a a snatch and grab kind of (laughs) like gardeners hate me in fact I just leave it to them like, I'm not going to be the chef who has a tunnel and is like, hi, I grew this tomato because like, you know, you have to support, you know, if you do everything yourself, you're not supporting your local community. That's my view. But anyway, you know, you need to like buy stuff off the growers. That's, you know, that's how I think about it anyway. Excellent. So after that, column of house, um, you were in DC's for a while, weren't you? Like 16 years or well, something. Tell us a little bit about that. Before that, I was in Dylan's though. Um, ah, sorry, my apologies. I, I I ran ahead of myself there. Well, no, I mean, like, it seems it's, it, I was in all these places for so long. <laughs> like, it just, mm. it kind of, yeah, it's hard to imagine that it was so long ago. But yeah, I was Dylan, I was in Dylan's for nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was the chef there the whole time. Mm-hmm. It was, that was cool. No, that was really cool. Because what was great about it? Well, it was kind of an interesting time. Like, you couldn't, like ingredients were still thin on the ground. And when I say like, like there was nothing exotic. We had, mm-hmm. we still, but, but we had loads of organic growers, you know, like Jonathan Doig from Ross Carberry. He was, 
he's always been growing stuff. We just had a good few growers around so that they'd bring in veg and we'd take it and just try to use um, what we what we could, you know, use everything they brought us just so they didn't have waste, you know. And mm-hmm. that kind of cooking where you're presented with something and have to do something with it, like, I don't know, an episode of Chopped or something. <laughs> That's like, uh, that has kind of informed my whole cooking history is being presented with something and having to do something with it so I don't surely that is a lot of challenges as well how do you come up with something new all the time uh well you know what it is is uh it's like a puzzle so you know for example right now I'm getting you know like I say to Jonathan Doig who I'm still getting stuff off of you know uh what do you have and he has basic kind of stuff he's he's focused on say aubergines tomatoes basil um, spring onions, courgettes, you know, the kind of basic autumnal veg at the moment. But then like, and, and so I know what I'm going to do with that. I always make caponata at this time of year because it's so delicious. Mm-hmm. And um, I preserve a whole bunch of them. I dehydrate all the tomatoes and use them during the year. I pickle the chilies that he grows right. and use them during the year. But then like I'm getting stuff off singing frog gardens who might throw in like 10 kilos of tomatillos. And I'm like, okay, well that puts a different spin on things, you know? And like, yeah. so maybe I can do a Mexican thing with the aubergines and have a tomatillo salsa instead of like the, you know, obligatory caponata that I make every year. And so it's like when, when different growers add different ingredients, the dishes that you come up with are because of that. Sure. And I don't know. And, and I guess it's also your, your world experience. I mean, um, what do we know about Mexican food down in West Cork? But um, surely that's been an inspiration of yours from, uh, New Hampshire or you know uh, life at yeah. home I mean I lived in California you know so mm-hmm. for a while so that was um I mean obviously our Mexican food in New Hampshire is like very similar to your Mexican food here which is like a dodgy taco shell and some mints <laughs> fried up <laughs> you know like that like, terrifying. <laughs> like uh, oh yeah I know but I mean it has its place you know so I suppose like if you want like a retro taco sometime but like just don't call it a taco as Lily sure. Lily will tell you who owns Picado Mexican she's like oh god that's not a taco and it's not it's a different thing you know yeah um but California oh my gosh the Mexican food there is out of control really yeah I love it and like you know there's just a huge Mexican community there they're making tortillas and they're making tamales and they're making and so that's where I really got to grips with the corn flavor you know you're just Mm -hmm. like that's the thing you're always chasing is that flavor of a tamale you know that kind of corn dough um so yeah and that's why I love Mexican food um mostly just because I mean if you want to talk about like cultural appropriation Mm -hmm. which I have at length with like Lily and other people I mean I never thought about it before the past Mm -hmm. couple years because it's become Mm -hmm. like an issue Mm -hmm. um what I always thought was oh my gosh wouldn't it be so great if people could taste this stuff because they can't taste it anywhere else here absolutely yeah no I'm not pretending to be an authentic Mexican cook whose grandmother taught me anything and because I'm not but I do try to respect the cuisine you know but like it's as well when you're using like if I'm trying to use all fresh stuff now I do get chilies off of Lily and they're dried from Mexico to use mm-hmm. in certain dishes but like I use a bunch of cayenne peppers that Jonathan grows like I use 20 kilos a year of them and um that's not traditional in the Mexican dishes I'm 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 cooking 
but I want to use them because they're grown here and they're, you know, so it's a kind of a, it's a balancing act, you know? Yeah. Um, I got to say, I was lucky enough to spend um, some time in Mexico there a couple of years ago and I was absolutely blown away by the food and, you know, just on the street corners, you would get the most amazing tacos, beautiful flavors. Everything was incredible. And I did actually go to your um, Mexican pop-up night in Leaves and it really did bring me all the way back to Mexico City um I gotta say there is something about the smell of of that food and just tasting it and it really is um as close as close to the real thing like I think you 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 hit the nail on the head oh wow that's funny yeah yeah, yeah nice absolutely. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> well, before we start talking about your 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 pop ups as well, um, I'd like to just talk a little bit about um your time in DCs because you oh, were yeah. there and that was a real seafood destination. Do you love fish? Um, yeah, you know, I'm allergic to shellfish. Ah, uh, like I can I do cook with it. So far, so good. Like I mean, I was kind of waiting any day for me to start reacting to like the steam of it or something, but I, okay. <laughs> I, I can't eat it. And, uh, but I, it's a, it's only a recent allergy, like from when I was 30. So I kind of know what it's supposed to taste like. And I just ask mm-hmm. people around me to taste that. Do you think it needs salt? <laughs> you know? okay. It's kind of, it was, uh, you know, it was testing sometimes, but um, yeah. So um, fish. Yeah. I love fish again with all, things that are like constantly evolving after 16 years in DCs and buying so much fish all the time. And it, it being such a struggle to keep up with what was sustainable and what was like sustainably fished, you know, mm-hmm. oh, it's like a nightmare. So, you know, and you know, you don't even know unless you're seeing it being caught, you don't know that it's been like line caught. You just have to take their word for it. Yeah. And it was a bit of a, yeah, I, I found it very, at the end, I was feeling guilty about all the fish. <laughs> I mean, and I felt like because I had to do such huge, I had to sell such a huge amount of fish in there because like it was really busy, you know? And so mm-hmm. you're talking like five days a week and 70 or 80 people a night. And mm-hmm. um, I just, I felt that the amount of fish we were using, I, I couldn't, I didn't have the time to make sure that every bit of it was sustainably caught even though I was assured by my fishmonger that it all was but you get the feeling they're just kind of yeah 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 it's great yeah yeah it's all good yeah mm-hmm. like crawling here mm-hmm. you know and it's it's a real issue I like have practically not used fish since I left DC's <laughs> just to yeah. take a little break for a while I mean obviously I've eaten mackerel and you know things that people give me uh but I like I, I do like fish but that's that's my answer <laughs> for you and like mm-hmm. i in some ways i i feel that dc's was a vegetable restaurant tell we, me tell me how you come to that yeah. uh conclusion. well we we bought so much veg um and you know there are some fish restaurants that are you know and they're great at what they do and they're like i'm gonna put this piece of sole on the plate with like a squeeze of lemon and a slick of butter and i'm gonna let the fish speak for itself but uh i'm not really that type of cook so i i kind of feel that like most of the dishes in dc's which changed like daily uh were like they could have been beautiful vegetarian dishes with like a piece of nicely cooked fish perched on top Uh, so like you could have literally taken the fish off and still you know had a tiny delicious meal of vegetables that's what i think anyway and sauce and stuff you know and and vegetables um and vegetarian food feature quite heavily now on your menu don't they 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely always have a vegetarian and uh, vegan kind of thing uh, on the menu. But like, mm-hmm. I mean, I love meat as well. I love it all. As long as you're just being careful about where you get your stuff. And I'm I'm thinking, I'm toying with the idea of introducing fish again to the menu. But I just want to make sure that I can really feel good about it and know exactly where it comes from. And like, I have friends that I can talk to about that because as, as well, it's changing all the time. I used to use a lot of Ling. Okay. And now like Ling is, I was looking it up the other day and they're not sure about Ling now. They're like used with caution. I'm like, oh, geez, really? Yeah. Did I do that? Yeah. Did I use yeah, yeah. much Ling? <laughs> you know? How do you think um, the general consumer can make more sustainable food choices? Oh, Um, just the only thing they can do really is just ask their buy directly from a fishmonger, you know, rather than, you know, I say a supermarket, you know, it's going to be fresher anyway. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, a good few fishmongers around the place who, you know, will, will tell you, you know, yes, this is line caught or yeah, this is, this is okay. And like, sometimes if you're looking it up online, what's sustainable and what isn't but your fish market, like cod, for example, you know, mm-hmm. we're supposed to cut down on cod. Whereas like your fishmonger might say to you, geez, there's so much cod at the moment mm-hmm. and big ones. So you're thinking, oh, well, you actually have some boats. Like what, what's the deal there? Should we not catch what's there? And then, yeah, it's a, it's a, I can't really give any good advice about that. I'm afraid <laughs> just, yeah. you know, right. do your research and ask your fishmonger. That's all. Okay. So let's talk about the the food trucks, because obviously you spent a lot of time in um, bricks and mortar food businesses for most of your career yeah. but this kind of idea of a movable feast I suppose um appealed to you why yeah. was that oh just the freedom like the freedom to you know the freedom to not use fish the free freedom to um pop up wherever and whenever you want it because I I used to love when I was in DC's doing outside catering jobs but okay. I could only ever take like the odd one because I was so busy all the time and it was in addition to my, you know, workload in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I do miss kind of working with, um, you know, the people in the kitchen. That's what I do miss. It's kind of, it can be a little bit lonely in the truck sometimes, you know, when I'm prepping up until like two o'clock in the morning, the, the night before <laughs> I go out. But, um, yeah, um, the, the freedom really appealed to me and two years on or nearly two years on, I have to say that it's all it's cracked up to be for sure. Good. Just the freedom to do like to do whatever you want. Not even the freedom to go anywhere, but can I just bring up neighbor food? Yeah. Let's talk about neighbor food because actually that that is one of the things that you did during the lockdown, didn't you? Didn't you do some yeah cook along dinners with well, neighbor food? Yeah. So what I did was like First of all, like we closed DCs on January 1st, 2020. Mm-hmm. And I was supposed to spring onto the food truck scene on March, you know, late March. <laughs> so we all know that didn't happen. And um, even when, like, you know, the regulations were a bit vague about food trucks and, you know, mobile catering. But when the lockdowns were severe, we just chose not to draw crowds. Like that was sure. what I, I wanted to, I didn't want to be responsible for crowds. I didn't want to be responsible for, I just didn't know what was happening. So I just thought it was better to just stop, you know? Okay. So, but I had the food truck sitting there, like the gorgeous little professional kitchen that it is. And it just seemed like a waste. I mean, I'd be in there like making stuff for us, 
you know, to eat at night. And uh, I thought, oh, this would be so cool. So I came up with this idea of a cooking club and I, and I would do it through neighbor food. I think I, 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 I rang Jack from neighbor food to ask him about it and what he thought. I'm not sure if I did that or not, but like I asked a few people, what do you think if I did like a, like a YouTube video or like a zoom call and we cooked something together, I'd pick a dish. And this was a time when like people were finding it hard to get ingredients because you know, they weren't going shopping. They weren't going to cork. They weren't going anywhere. But for yeah. example, one time I did smoked haddock risotto and uh, which was a kind of a really, um, it was actually smoked Pollock risotto, <clears throat> okay. which I got off Sally Barnes, the smoked Pollock. So we know that that's good. You know, Pollock mm-hmm. is a good sustainable fish. <laughs> there you go. So, um, and then I, I found somebody who's, who was importing like the best risotto rice, you know, in Dublin. Uh, from my friend Enrico Fantasia, he knows a guy who has the best risotto rice in the world and is importing it to Dublin. So I got a case of that off him and I measured okay. it out into like little 300 gram packs, everything that a person would need, like down to the onion, the salt, the fennel seeds, whatever I was using in it, the everything was in the bag, like a nice white bag that said cooking club on it. Beautiful. And so whoever bought the bag got, you know, with it, this video and or a Zoom call. And so we could all cook along together or they could watch the YouTube video um, whenever they wanted with their bag of ingredients. And like, let me tell you that I have a newfound respect for packaging and, <laughs> and people who have it. It's a difficult thing, isn't it? It takes ages. And I was like, yeah, sure. How hard can it be to throw a few things in a bag? Well, it can be hard. <laughs> so now, like I, I have a, like, like I said, it's just that was the hardest part actually weighing, you know, 30 bags of risotto rice and putting it into another bag and labeling it, you know, so. But, but what an amazing experience though, to have somebody like you guiding me along through, um, through cooking a fantastic, fantastic dish. I guess you got a good reaction from people with it. Did you? Yeah. Oh my God. Cause people were so bored as well, you know, mm. and like stuck. And to be honest, like I'm not really that much of a, I wouldn't have said I'm much of a people person, you know, like, yeah. you know, like I'm, I never come out to talk to tables, for example, in the restaurant. I, I'm a bit shy like that, you know, Okay. but um, I have to say I enjoyed the cooking club so much and I met people that I wouldn't normally meet. And, you know, sometimes seeing people's smiling face on zoom cooking along with me was just the best thing that happened to me all week. I was just like, Oh my God, this is great. And I was like, hi, Bernadette. Hi, hi. I was so happy <laughs> to see people, you know, Sorry. And you obviously uh, enjoyed the teaching part of it too. Oh, I love teaching cooking. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. Used to so it. is this something we can possibly expect from you again? I was thinking I might do one or two in the winter, but, I mean, if there's not a lockdown, then would anyone really want to do that? Uh, I, th- I think there'd be uh, a nice demand for that. Yeah. Um, I, I guess we could put it out there and, and see what, pe- what people think. If people yeah. are listening and they, they want uh, Kate and Root to do some more cook-along classes, raise your hand. That was fun. And, and the fact that we called it Cooking Club as well, which is just a, a, a fluke, I think just because we couldn't think of a different name. Yeah. It yeah. just felt like a club. It felt yeah. like, like a happy little club. <laughs> And you sold these um, these cooking club um, ingredients through neighbor food. How was that for you? Great. Yep. Super. Very helpful. Um, like I'm not that great with the computers. Hmm. Not really. And um, in fact, I'm finding the whole pre-order thing a bit 
um, difficult at the moment. But um, yeah, neighbor food is great. And, you know, I definitely wouldn't have been able to do the cooking club without them because Mm -hmm. they had, you know, just the setup they had during COVID with like all of the, everything was so spaced out and all the, you know, different times to collect your food. It was just really well run. And Mm -hmm. um, I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to do that myself. And I think people who shop with neighbor food are the type of person who'd appreciate doing a cooking course with you. Exactly. And, you know, some of the stuff I put in the cooking club's bags, I got off neighbor food as well. So, yeah. Excellent. So once the pandemic, I suppose, started dwindling away, although it is still a little bit here and the food truck really came into its own. um, What do you think makes a good food truck? Is it like the ingredients that you're sourcing? Is it like a crazy name? Is it a good location? What for you is makes a good food truck? Well, that's a good question. Um, and like, I actually don't know, but like, because I, who am I to judge what a good food truck is? Um, being mm-hmm. as I'm in one and it's impossible to see it when you're in it, but um, it's all what people want. I suppose. Like, I think like the guy who wants like a drunk burger or maybe fish and chips or something, mm-hmm. he would not think that I had a good food truck at all because uh, I'm not out very often because I'm doing so many kind of private events as well. And, uh, you know, I don't just don't have that kind of food, but like, so a food truck can be a good food truck. If your customer, if the customer base that you have wants what you have, you know? So like, as far as a good name goes, I mean, I have a terrible name for my food truck. <laughs> just <laughs> my name. It's definitely not so, catchy. So for those who are listening, it's just Caitlin Ruth. <laughs> Caitlin Ruth Food is what it says on the banner. And the reason I called it that was because um, we had to get a banner printed. And um, I didn't want to, I really didn't want to tie myself down back to the freedom mm-hmm. thing to any particular kind of food. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't want it to be like a Mexican food truck or a fish food truck or, a, you know, meat fest or grilling or I didn't want it to be um anything and I think at that moment I was suffering from a lack of creativity with regards to the name um Mm -hmm. but it just felt like that was the easiest thing to call it if I just wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted sure you know so and we actually have a cute little uh horse box now that we've used a few times as a cocktail bar oh wow for weddings and that okay and it's really no, that's really cool as well. And it matches the, it's like the same color as the food truck. So it's really great. Yeah. So Caitlin Rude, Ruth, food, yeah. innovation and freedom to the fore. That's, that's what we're saying. Here <laughs> yeah, freedom. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, so you've popped up in unusual places from abbeys to beaches to the back doors of pubs. Um, why do you choose these locations? Um, well, the, the pub is, we choose the pubs because it's like a great place to get, like get some food and have a drink. You know, it's, it's pubs that don't have food, but I, I'd always be looking if anybody, you know, wants a food truck for a week or something, I'm always open to suggestions for a pub. Cause I love that atmosphere, you know, especially mm-hmm. if they have a beer garden, it's just perfect to be able to pull up and open up there. Um, but as far as the other places we're looking for, you know, it's very practical. We're looking for places that don't have a huge amount of wind mm-hmm. because when you've got the hatch open, the wind can blow out your gas burners. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's very practical. Um, if there is a parking for people and if there's a safe place to queue. Okay. Like we yeah. were down below the Abbey for, for a while. And, reasons. 
yeah, that was kind of like the queuing got a bit unsafe with the traffic streaming by. So we kind of moved from there. Now we're on Friday, we're going to be outside, outside uh, Tim League on the Court McSherry Road, which is a nice little gravel patch over there. So that's, mm-hmm. And it's just got a great view down into the Court McSherry Bay. So that's cool. And um, have you any kind of bucket list dream locations that you want to go to or um, oh, just, hmm. just evolve from week to week? Yeah, well, that's a good question, too. Um, yeah, I love obviously being by the sea. Well, we're like pretty much always by the sea here. But um, I don't know. I had this idea of going to Kerry. OK. <laughs> it's like Kerry, like Kerry is my dream. But I just it's so beautiful down there and I haven't spent much time there. And it might be nice to pop up there sometime. And just see what it's like selling food in a place where, you know, nobody knows me. You know, that'd be kind of cool. Otherwise, I'm pretty happy with what we're doing at the moment. I'm doing a lot of uh, private parties and I take two weddings per year. And uh, so that takes up a lot of time. Yeah. And I'd imagine going to, you know, a place where nobody knows you down to Kerry where you don't know the, the back roads and every single person on that street get some inspiration just from being in that place wouldn't you oh totally and you'd have to like you'd have to get stuff from there like when I was in Ballady Hob actually you know as a cook I I, I form such close uh, bond with all of my suppliers you know meat mm-hmm. fish vegetables especially um these are the people that I've been growing food who know what I like and I know what they're like and you know mm-hmm. I know how to deal with them because people have different personalities as you probably know dealing with all the people in the mm-hmm. food, food world but like Going to even Ballady Hob, I had to. I wanted to use like a hyper local mm-hmm. uh, ingredients for the menu that I was doing, especially for the second week, which was basically local producers' week. And uh, it's just such a cool thing to be able to talk to uh, new growers and you know form a mm-hmm. relationship with them too. Because down in Ballady Hob, there's so many. You know, you got Leah and uh, Lishin Greens and all these people growing incredible stuff, and uh, Richard from Glensala Gardens. So, you know, again, I didn't know what I was going to make until a day before I made the menu and mm-hmm. until the day before we cooked, I just yeah. kind of took what all the people had, like Richard gave me, you know, six kilos of garlic. That's all he had. I was like, oh, well, we'll do something with that. All right. You know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just the menu was totally informed by what people had. So that's kind yeah. of cool when you're going yeah. to different places. So if I did go to Cary, found a new grower, got some stuff from there. Why do you think it's so important to support these local producers and small growers? Uh, Well, first of all, keeping the local economy going, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm a huge believer in, like, I can't bear to see waste. So, you know, people, it's so interesting. And and I told you, I'm not a gardener. Mm -hmm. I'm really bad at growing vegetables. And, uh, I'm in awe of them. And I also know that things are difficult. Like some years their cherry tomato crop might be like massive and they actually can't even get rid of them. But like Mm -hmm. everybody wants their aubergines and they can't grow enough because they've had a bad aubergine year. Imagine that, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. you spend all year uh, cosseting these plants and they're giving you nothing in return. And that's like, that's all your time and money just gone. Like that's actually harder than being a cook. So when they have a glut, I like to try to take whatever they have off their hands, you know, oh, pay them for it as well. I'm not looking for any massive discounts or anything, but like, 
it's just nice to know that I'm the one that they come to when they have too much of something because I'm yeah. willing to deal with it. So that's kind of and nice. That really is sustainability as well, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I like yeah. to do. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've just got so many exciting and different things always in the pipeline. You're continually evolving. Um, I actually can't wait to see what's coming up next for you, Caitlin, because it's just uh, it's it's a it's a theatre performance almost. Tell me, how can people um, find you? Well, um, and how can I find out what you're up to next? Definitely, if um, you have a look at my Instagram page, which is uh, Caitlin Ruth Food um that's that's just the instagram and mm-hmm. uh i kind of like whenever i'm popping up next i'll put it up three days or so before beforehand okay. and like if it's um if i'm doing a pop-up in a pub or something it'll definitely be more uh, like i'll give a bit more notice mm-hmm. um but my email address is caitlinruthfood at gmail.com if anybody wants to get in touch with me about private parties or something like that i, I can't take too many because um I'm I'm very booked out at the moment, but like I'd be willing to talk about stuff. I love interesting parties. Like I've been asked to do a vegan wedding next Ooh. year. Wow, that sounds like a good challenge. Like, so if, I, if anybody's got a good challenge, Caitlin Ruth is the lady. Is the lady. <laughs> for sure. Like, <laughs> yeah. Let, let's let's see what the internet can do for you. Uh, okay, Caitlin, thank you so much for uh, joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure Thanks, to Lynn. talk to you, and can't wait to see what comes up next. Okay, bye guys. Thanks a million. Bye. What did you think of that, Jack? Yeah, super super nice, and I think knowing Caitlin you know for quite some time now I, I really think she's the perfect example of how a chef's personality comes across in her food so like you can hear like, she has a really calm conviction in all of her philosophies and she brings a huge amount of life experience into her cooking and there's no mistaking it and like genuinely genuinely I haven't had a bad meal ever you know I mean either she's she's a good one so thank you to Peter Broderick for our music Thanks to Jolene for doing all the editing here. And we will be back next week talking about natural wine. Yeah, can't wait. We're going to be chatting to Pascal from Le Caveau. We're going to find out what is the difference between all those buzzwords of biodynamic, organic, natural, conventional wines. Pascal is going to open the curtains and let us know what it is all about. 